Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. Heads up that you also might hear two different hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. With that said, on with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 18th. The 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified on this day in 1920. On paper, the 19th Amendment was the one that gave women in the United States the right to vote at the national level. By this point, a number of states and municipalities already did. For example, women in Wyoming Territory had the right to vote in 1869, and when Wyoming became a state in 1890, it included women's suffrage in its constitution. This made it the first state to give women the right to vote. And the 19th Amendment was first introduced in Congress before Wyoming's statehood, all the way back in 1878. It took 41 years for it to pass, and it's not like those years were spent trying to improve it. The text when it passed was the same as the text when it was first introduced more than 40 years before. But when I say on paper, it was what gave women the right to vote, in reality, it was not so clear-cut. As the post-Civil War Reconstruction ended, a lot of states passed discriminatory voting laws to prevent Black people from voting. These were things like poll taxes, literacy tests, things like that. And then also the 15th Amendment, which had given Black citizens the right to vote, excluded, quote, Indians not taxed. So while the 19th Amendment spells it out this way, quote, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. In the real world, there were a lot of barriers to voting for a lot of people, especially the ones who were not white. Native American women were granted the right to vote Uh, after being granted U.S. citizenship under the Snyder Act of 1924. And then the 24th Amendment outlawed poll taxes and federal elections. That was ratified in 1964. And then the Voting Rights Act of 1965 helped protect the right to vote that Black women and other minorities had already been granted under the 19th Amendment but didn't have equal access to. Even today, voting is not equally accessible to everyone. But even with all of those caveats, it was still a really long road to the 19th Amendment, one that was worth celebrating at the end. It had come up for a vote over and over and failed every time, and it only passed after the 1918 election cycle, in which the National American Women's Suffrage Association, the National Women's Party, and a lot of other organizations had all heavily campaigned for candidates who would pass the 19th Amendment. It was only after that election and literally decades of work and protests and demonstrations and arrests and force feedings and a terrifying night of abuse inflicted on arrested suffragists in 1917 that the Senate finally passed the amendment in May of 1919 and then the House followed in June. That was not the end of the road, though. It still needed to be ratified by 36 of the then 48 states, and that required another round of ongoing advocacy, working with all the states to get them to ratify this amendment. It finally got enough support when Tennessee ratified it on August 18th of 1920, and then Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby declared it to be in effect on the 26th. 
You can learn more about the 19th Amendment in several episodes of Stuff You Missed in History Class, including Night of Terror at the Occoquan Workhouse on November 8th of 2017. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on all of these episodes. And you can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we will have an underdog story about a prolific inventor. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was August 18, 1612. One of the most famous witch trials in English history, the Trial of the Pendle Witches, began at Lancaster Assizes. Assizes were periodic sessions of courts held in English counties for civil and criminal trials. The trial is well documented in The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster, published by the clerk to the court, Thomas Potts. King James I came to power in 1603. He was deeply interested in witchcraft and inspired fear in witches. Six years before he took the throne, while Elizabeth I was queen, he released a book called Demonology, which was a treatise on witchcraft that encouraged the trial and persecution of people who practiced it. In his view, women were more likely than men to use witchcraft. There were also witch hunts under Elizabeth I, but the paranoia and punishment surrounding witchcraft in England was not quite as severe as it was elsewhere in Europe. For example, torture was not allowed as part of the investigation or punishment process for witches, and witches were hanged rather than burned. But when Elizabeth died and James I took the throne, he made the punishments against people accused of witchcraft much harsher. He made hanging mandatory for a first offense of witchcraft, and if an accused person had a mark on their body deemed to be the devil's mark, then they would be put to death. Cases against witchcraft went from declining under Elizabeth to increasing under James. Pendle Hill in Lancashire, England, was said to be a wild and lawless place at the time. In 1612, justices of the peace in Lancashire were ordered to create lists of recusants in their areas, such as people who would not take communion. Roger Knoll was the justice of the peace in Pendle Hill. Brought to Knoll's attention was an incident between a Halifax peddler named John Law and Alison Device of Pendle. Law accused Device of cursing him after he refused to give her pins that she had asked for. He blamed a stroke he had not long after the exchange on her. Device confessed to Noel that she had called on the devil to curse John Law. When she was questioned, she accused her grandmother of witchcraft, as well as members of the rival Chaddock's family. More people confessed to selling their souls, and Noel made more arrests of accused witches who lived in the area around Pendle Hill. Twelve Pendle witches were accused of witchcraft, one of whom died while in prison. Six of them were from the Demdike and Chaddock's families. John and Jane Woolcock were tried for causing madness and for being at a witch's Sabbath. 
Alice Nutter and Katherine Hewitt were accused of killing people. And Margaret Pearson was charged with bewitching one of her neighbor's horses to death. The Salmsbury witches were also tried at the same assizes and before the same judge as the Pendle witches. Under King James I, normal due process was not necessary in the prosecution of witches. The accused weren't allowed defense counsel or to call witnesses, and children, women, and liars could be called as witnesses in cases of high treason against God. Out of the 11 Pendle witches who went to trial, one was tried at York Assizes and found guilty, nine were tried at Lancaster and found guilty, and the last was found not guilty at Lancaster. A notable part of the trial was the testimony of Janet Device, the nine-year-old daughter of the accused Elizabeth Device. She spoke of witches on flying ponies, clay images made to cause death, and of a Sabbath held on Good Friday. Some of the accused confessed their guilt, while others maintained their innocence and worked to clear their names. Even though the prosecution's evidence was based on gossip and false confessions, Jeanette's testimony helped convince the jury of the guilt of the accused. On August 20th, 10 people were hanged at Lancaster for having bewitched people to death by devilish practices and hellish means. Margaret Pearson was sentenced to be pilloried and serve a year in prison. The Salmsbury witches were acquitted. As claiming healing, magical, or witchcraft powers made people money at the time, the rival families involved in the Pendle trial could have been competing to maintain their reputations and livelihoods. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you again tomorrow for more tidbits of history. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.